Now, are you in Hebrews 13? In talking about authority, we've, uh, we've been focusing for some time now, really, on what I'm calling the, the foundational and, and really, in some ways, the most important side of authority, and that is the side of being under authority. Amen. We call it submission. Uh, if you believe with me real good today and God helps me, I think I might be able to finish up today. I can't promise you, but I think I, I think I could. In other words, it's possible <laughs> that we could finish discussing submission today. And we've used as our text for this part of the message, anyhow, Hebrews 13, verse 17, where it says this, obey your leaders. If you have the King James Version, it says this, obey them that have the rule over you. Them, isn't that interesting? Them that have the rule over you. How many are like me? You wish that was nobody. <laughs> Amen. But that's not the case. There are people, right? And not just one person. It didn't say obey your leader. It said obey them. Right? Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Amen. They keep watch over you as men. It could be women in some cases who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no, of no advantage to you. And we talked about submission, what it means. You know, it's a bending of your will. It's a placing oneself under the authority of somebody else. Amen. And in, sorry, in recent weeks, we've been talking about who is supposed to submit to whom, answering that question. We said, first of all, Think, first thing that you need to see is that there's submission in the Godhead, the Father and the, uh, I'm sorry, the Son and the Spirit submit to the Father. And though they're all equal and none of the members of the Godhead are inferior to the other, yet they have places that are not equal. Amen. All important, yet, but the, yet the Father is greater than all, not in person, but in place. Amen. And so, and then we said that uh, every person on the face of this earth must submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus, right? We went on to say another area is that your, this one was fun, remember this, your body and your soul is supposed to submit to your spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. And then we said that children are to submit themselves to the authority of their parents. Hallelujah. We talked about wives. In particular, we spoke about wives submitting themselves to their husbands, to their own husbands, as to the Lord. Uh, we, we said to you concerning that, that it is not true that man is superior to woman, that it's not true that every man is over every woman. That's not even remotely true. The truth is, in the family relationship, there's order and there's a place of, of leadership. Amen. And then we went on last week. How many were here last week? And we, we ministered along the lines of employees submitting themselves to employers. And didn't we have a lot to say about that? And so you might be submissioned out by now. And you might think, boy, I have to submit to people in my natural life. I mean, there's a lot of different categories of this, right? I have to submit to folk naturally. And then spiritually, I have to submit to God. And, and boy, that's a lot. And can I tell you that that's not all? <laughs> You ever heard the commercial for the Ginsu knives when when they they'd, they'd get all the knives out and they say, but that's not all. Right. And then they'd show you the next thing that if you order right now, you can have it. And then what they say. And that's not all. So everybody put a smile on your face today because uh, hallelujah. <laughs> there's there's even more. 
But, it, but here again, now, this is not bondage. This is truth, and truth does what? It sets free. Amen. And so we're interested in submitting because if we are properly aligned with those above us, then we can be used in authority. We'll get to that coming up. But uh, in the same chapter that you're in, Hebrews 13, we've looked at the 17th verse. I'd like us to go over to the 7th verse. And it says this, verse 7, Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders. Again, the King James says, those who have the rule over you. And it specifically mentions those who spoke the word of God to you. Those who spoke the word to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So here this verse specifically singles out what we could call spiritual leaders. And so this seventh area, and you know what the Bible talks about in Ephesians, how God ascended on high, uh, Jesus rather ascended on high, and he gave gifts to men. And it goes on to list the gifts as apostle, prophet, prophet. Uh, evangelist, pastor, teacher, those what we call the fivefold. And sometimes we use the term ministry gifts uh, to designate the offices that God set up. And so we're going to say this, number seven, believers are to submit themselves to the ministry gifts. This is a, a aerial, aerial, <clears throat> stretch your hands out toward your pastor and say, God help him to get the words out today. This is an area of spiritual submission. Amen. Hallelujah. And so being properly aligned under the ministries and ministers that God has joined you to will allow those people to be a gift in your life and not a burden in your life. How many know gifts are good? Right? In a marriage situation, when the wife is properly aligned with her husband, how many know that the husband and wife can be a gift to each other? And then how many know if there's not proper alignment, that that marriage can be a burden, huh? And things can get just very, very difficult. And, and, and the blame can always be on both parties. Usually is, right? Uh, as a, if, if you ever do any uh, pastoral counseling, you never just get one side of the story, huh? Praise God. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit, if we could. Now, you might think, Pastor, are you telling us to submit to you? I'm just I'm teaching you the Bible. Right. right. Um, you know, I always had the the idea that, well, somebody else should be teaching that. You know, it's not right for a pastor to stand up and say this is how you ought to respond to me and things like that. Till I heard this one lady pastor who who had who was of the same persuasion. Well, you know, you shouldn't be you know, that just doesn't look good. It seems like, you know, you're manipulating whatever. And she said the Lord spoke to her and she said, who teaches your kids how to respond to you? The neighbor lady? Hmm? Mom and dad, you go get the neighbor lady to teach your kids how to behave to you? Who teaches them? You're supposed to teach them. Amen. And so, I, and so the Lord made that point to her, and she made the point that, yeah, I teach my own church. Amen. How to properly respond to the gifts that God has put in their life. Amen. And so in our, in our part of the world, especially it seems up here, ministers are, are sometimes disrespected rather than respected. And maybe one reason is because ministers sometimes do disrespectful things. I understand that. They're people, right? But uh, what, that, what that ends up causing is that their place is not recognized. And I don't mean, I don't mean their place in society. I mean their God-given place of, of gifting and anointing. 
And therefore, people don't align themselves properly with them. Amen. Do you understand that it was God, not man, who gave names to these offices and gave titles as pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet? Who, who came up with those? Not a denomination. That's in the Bible, right? And uh, th those are special places of service. And God said they're gifts from him to us, and he delegated a portion of what he does to those ministry offices. In other words, some of what God does, he runs through those offices. Amen. Right? As we talk about authority, this word delegation, you're going to hear it, you know, several times. And if, see, if there's no esteem for those offices, if there's no respect for those offices, there'll be no receiving from those offices. Right? I want to show you a really interesting passage of Scripture along, kind of along these lines. But I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 23. And you know, even when, a, even when somebody will, that we would call a minister messes up. And of course, you know, when they're over, when they're over a big group and things like that, well, then they're, they're, it's essential that there is proper discipline. Amen. And certainly a time period of, of recovery. Um, but yet so, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And sometimes things that you do, the, the, you'll just not, you won't recover from, that, from the damage that's been caused in the eyes of people. You know what I'm saying? I got, how many know God will forgive you no matter how, how bad you mess up? But how many know people won't? <laughs> right? And I, I just want you to see, though, here that even when a, a minister acted dishonorably, that Paul, who wrote a whole lot of the New Testament, taught a lot of the things we're teaching you in this series, Paul still respected the place. Even though he, uh, you'll see that he was less than nuts about the person. Amen? Acts 23, did you find that? Paul was on trial for doing something good. Now right there, there's a tough spot. But right in verse 1, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest, you see that's a minister, Ananias, he ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Have you ever been struck in the mouth? Hmm? You understand that it can make you forget everything you've ever learned about acting dignified? Huh? If you're standing there, and I don't know how it happened. I don't know if somebody just gave him a fist in the mouth. They slapped him in the face or they used something to strike him in the mouth. But the high priest said, gave the signal to shut this man up. And he may have been his mouth full of blood. And look what Paul said to him. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now, now listen, everybody look up here. Can you hardly blame Paul for his response? I mean, well, how would you respond? I mean, I've, you know, I'll just tell you the truth. I've had one of my kids accidentally hit me when we were playing. And I had to pull myself together because it's like I started, I wanted to kill somebody. I mean, I used my mouth for, uh, to make my living, you know what I mean, uh, <laughs> to preach. Not only that, I play saxophone. Hello, I mean, and to, so to get, to get a busted... 
I've had my dog give me a big paw right in the mouth. I did take it out on him. What do I care? It's just a do- No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You know what? We don't use the term whitewashing so much, but you know what whitewashed wall is? That's a wall that needs to be torn down and repaired because it's so rotted, but they just keep throwing paint on it to make it look good. All dressed up and nothing but rotten inside. You whitewashed wall. And Paul went on to say, you sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you, are, you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And I want you to see something. Those, those who were standing near. So let me just stop a second. Paul just like totally railed on this high priest, didn't he? And so those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? Now stop it right here. Look at me. What would, what would be your response then? You still got blood in your mouth, remember. Yeah. Well, he was wrong. Look at what Paul said. Paul replied, brothers, I didn't realize that he was the high priest. For it's written, don't speak evil about the ruler of your people. Now, isn't that something? I said, isn't that something? Do you see that? Paul said, whoops, I messed up. He, I guess the high priest was sitting far enough away, maybe hadn't gotten in his chair yet. Paul didn't know that that's who it was that commanded him to be struck. And he said, oh, man, I spoke evil against the ruler of... I'm going to believe Paul was probably pretty accurate calling him a whitewashed wall. That was the truth, wasn't it? And so you see that Paul... He respected the place, even though the man probably wasn't worthy of much. Right? All right, just wanted you to see that. In the local church, the pastor, obviously you understand this, the pastor is is the highest authority in the local church under God. Um, Not the evangelist, apostle, or prophet. Uh, Some would disagree with that, but but I have scripture, they don't. And so, you know, I'm talking about in in a particular local church. If a pastor would tell a visiting minister, hey, please don't talk about this. Please don't do this in the church. I'm going to know the pastor lives with the people. He knows what's going on. And, And really, no matter how much that visiting minister thinks they heard from God. They need they need to do what they were asked to do. Two of you agree. Go to Matthew 9 if you would. Now come on, help me and I can help me and we can get, I don't know. I didn't promise you we'd finish talking about this today, right? I said it's possible. It's possible. Amen. Matthew chapter 9. Is this okay today? Verse 35 says, Jesus went through all their towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without an apostle. Huh? Sheep without a prophet. What did, you, what did Jesus? He said they were like sheep without what? 
a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Now, it's very interesting that the same Greek word translated shepherd is translated pastor. Amen. And so if the pastor is a shepherd, I didn't say that. <laughs> Sheep need a shepherd or they'll be scattered. Amen. Now, now, let me just give you a couple nuggets. Look, we could preach, we could take any one of these, preach a month on any one of these points, but a couple things. Look, sheep don't get to pick their shepherd. Huh? I mean, you know that. Some of you, if you picked me, you would have left me. <laughs> you don't get to pick, who picks the great shepherd? The great shepherd. Puts you with the shepherd that he wants you with. Is it going to be the one that you like their personality the most? No, no guarantees of that. You know, you don't have to like me to receive from me. Huh? I know some who've told me so. <laughs> they have. They said, but we get a lot out of the services, but I don't care for you personally. <laughs> He brings the sheep and the great shepherd does. And he tells him, you stay here. This is your pen and you'll be blessed here. You'll be cared for here, but you have to stay here. So that, that's a, that's a, the pastors. You want to be properly aligned, right? With that. Now, there's there's other ministry gifts. Uh, I traveled with Brother Hagen, as you know, he stood in the office of a prophet, not because he decided to give himself that name, but because the Lord made him that. And, and you know, at any minister, uh, I you don't want to go uh, running after titles. Oh, oh, I want this title and make everybody call me this title. Well, yeah, we should defer to people and refer to them by their place, not so much by their person like we've talked about. But um, let, your, let the work speak for you. Oh, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. Just show me you're an apostle. Can you say Amen. Brother Hagen was a prophet, not because he went off telling people. In fact, he never called himself Prophet Hagen. Never. He didn't care for other people using that term. He, just Brother Hagen's what he liked. But yet he had, he had the work there going on. But yet there were some people who only respected his teaching ministry, not the prophet's ministry. And I know there was, boy, there was churches that we go to that I think, well, these people, you know, probably don't know a thing. All Brother Hagen's going to do is teach. And we saw this great manifestation of the prophet's office because they see they respected that place. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? And they, they put themselves under that anointing to receive from it. There's other places. Oh, I'm thinking, boy, this is an established church. These people uh, we're going to have. I mean, we thought that meeting was good. Why do we get to this meeting? And we got to that next meeting in the great church where you think, well, there's going to be all kinds of manifestations of words from the Lord. You know, I mean, prophecies, miracles, words of knowledge. But all they did was respect him as a teacher. All they did was, was read a book. And they didn't see him as a prophet. And so there was no manifestation of the prophet. All he could do was teach. Well, that's not unlike Jesus' ministry, was it? There was, the Bible says in Mark 6, he went to his own hometown. And he could do no mighty work there, except get a couple people healed of minor things. That's still pretty decent. But... <laughs> But I mean, it, it's a, he, there, he couldn't get any major work done. Why? It's, it says the people were offended because they knew him as Joseph's boy. That's Joseph's boy. 
And so the only manifestation they got was a Joseph's boy manifestation. And that's Joseph and Mary's kid. And you know, most churches, the pastor's family won't come. How come? They know him after the flesh. And they won't see him as anything else but my boy or my brother or my sister, whoever it is, you know, whatever kind of family it is. Hallelujah. And uh, hey, look, in a church, you'll encounter people. We've encountered people sometimes that they, they're okay with the word of God, but they don't want any manifestation of the spirit of God. Well, now that's being a rebellious sheep. Let's not do that, okay? Um, I know of some pastors, they, they saw, I'm just giving you little nuggets here, okay? I know some pastors, they saw in their lives, well, you know what? I haven't been given place to the Holy Spirit. I haven't been given him his rightful place. So that he went ahead and did it and lost most of the church. Because they said, well, I don't like that. Well, Come on, even kids in a school cafeteria, you don't get to go tell them what to cook. <laughs> right? If it's God, I mean, now if it's goofiness, but if it's God, we, we, we eat what's put, put in front of us, right, church? And so, so those people thought, well, I can, just, I can just listen to teaching and serve God just fine without that church. No, you can't, actually. You can't. This is good teaching today. There are all kinds of, listen to me real carefully, there's all kinds of essential things that you cannot get any place besides your local church. All kinds of things. Well, I could get it here. I could get, I promise you, you can't. Because God delivers your mail to your local church. That's your address. Well, I can buy the tape. It's not just what's on the tape. It's the revelation. It's God helping you get it. And there are, trust me, if you're in dis... Now, if, now, there are things that God designed you to get off a of tape. You understand? There's, I'm not saying that, that uh, you being here is the only ministry that you're supposed to be joined to. Your local church should be the primary thing you do. But there's other ministries, you know, maybe somebody on TV really speaks to your heart. Well, God will hook you up to them, too. Amen. That's all right, too. And it's so there are things I'll say it again because it's so misunderstood. There are things that you will not get any place else besides your local church. Why? That's where God's sending them for you. What if you're not here? Let's talk about one more thing, OK? <laughs> oh, glory to God. There's just no way to cover any of these subjects in, in, uh, in one shot. But, so I'm just picking high points. In connection with authority and submission, you hear this term a lot be, being thrown around. Mostly you hear it thrown around in a marriage situation. How many have ever heard the term spiritual covering? And how many have heard that applied to most of the time that I hear it, it's the wife saying, well, he's supposed to be my spiritual cover. How many have heard that? Okay, I don't see that at all from the scripture. I don't see where the husband is over the wife spiritually at all. From the scripture, that's where you want me to preach from, right? I don't see it. I don't see. And, and you know, if you disagree and can show me from the word, then show me. But 
Sure, it can mess up a family when the husband refuses to serve God. It can cause trouble. But, I mean, does the husband have any better ability to hear from God than the wife does at all? No, and most marriages prove that that's true. Because most, I'm just telling you, who is it that makes up the mo most of the people in most churches are the women trying to get their husbands to come on in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's true. Spiritually, my disobeying God can affect the family, sure. But spiritually, she can hear from God as good as I can. She can pray as good as me. She can preach as good as me. She will Wednesday night. Please, I have to be away Wednesday. I didn't want to be, but I am. Uh, she'll be here. I know you will. But the only place that I do see the spiritual covering is this relationship between believers and the ministers that God's put, put them under. Because when you're rightly aligned in that area, you do partake of anointings and partake of things that you wouldn't partake of otherwise. Now, that doesn't mean that I hear from God for you. Does it? And if you had me call you and say, uh, you're supposed to make this decision. You're supposed to give this amount of money. But I will say that there have been times, in fact, uh, this morning, I was up early. I did go back to bed, thank God. But I was up kind of in the middle of the night, spent some time praying. The Lord dealt with me about one individual, about a certain thing. I know exactly what to do in their life. And if the opportunity arises... I'll let them know. Amen. Well, why is that? Because that individual was rightly aligned. Yes. Amen. Well, how come my next door neighbor, God doesn't tell me things about them? <laughs> huh? They haven't been put in this place. So how many see the relationship and you see um, why? You would want to be in right relationship with the ministers, ministries, the ministry gifts that God put you under. Right? And it's not bondage any more than anything, any other kind of submission. It's a blessing. Is that right? Hallelujah. Are we to always submit to our spiritual leaders? The same rules apply. Are you to always submit to your employer? Are you to always submit to your husband? When they get out of line with the head of the church, you follow the head of the church. Right? If a pastor says, we're all going to drink this special Kool-Aid that I got. <laughs> you follow the head of the church. Amen. Are we okay with this? Okay, let's give you, let's give you. Now let's give you this other one. This will be number eight. I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I just gave you highlights on that, but I think it was okay, right? I don't sense that anybody's uh, offended at the... At what we've said. Of course, you being offended wouldn't change what I said, would it? <laughs> wouldn't make me change it. <laughs> Amen. We don't want to offend, but people that heard Jesus got offended, though. So, Now, 1 Peter 5, have you found that? 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5 says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And so we want to say this, younger people are to submit to older people. Younger people are to submit to older people. 
Now we've been talking about some very specific areas of submission, but now we're just going to wrap this up talking about a couple general areas. Because this is a real broad area, isn't it? Hmm? And you understand that, that, that uh, you, have to, you have to take this with the proper balance because it doesn't mean, here again, that every younger person is supposed to do everything that every older person tells them to do. Um, and and so there are some areas here that work two different ways, work both ways. You know that there's a, there's a possibility that a 30-year-old manager at a place can have a 60-year-old underneath him. And that 30-year-old is supposed to walk in his authority over the 60-year-old at work. Yet he should also give back some submission to that person because of his age. I'll try and explain. Submitting to your elders, what we're talking about, it has a twofold application. You're supposed to submit to those who are chronologically older than you. How come? Because they've been here longer than you. And then also, there's a, submitting to your elders can mean submitting to those who are older than you in experience, older than you in skill or wisdom. Right? We're not, we're talking, here again, submission is to be voluntary. It's, but voluntary not meaning that I'll do it if I want to, meaning that you do it, not somebody else making you. Okay? But have you noticed this, that once people reach retirement age, society wants to toss them out? And, and people want to discount everything they say all of a sudden. Everything that they say and know all of a sudden it doesn't have that much weight and we're supposed to look to somebody younger. And that's wrong. The, yeah, somebody younger may be more up to date on certain things, but uh, a, what about all their life experience that they have? And we especially need folk who have a lifetime of serving God. How many know God never gets out of date? And so people who have lived for God their whole life, well, when they get retirement age, that's one of the best times that they can roll up their sleeves, jump in, teach all of us who are, who are trying to find our way. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Kids and teenagers now, you especially need to be taught that you defer to those who are older. You defer to them. Yeah, there's, my father-in-law was a school teacher who retired about four, four or five years ago now. But now he's a full-time golfer. But he would say, especially in the last several years that he taught, he taught high school. And he said the kids would come in with a complete knowledge of everything that the teachers could or could not say to them, could or could not do to them. And they'd say, you can't do that to me. You can't say that. It's against the rules. You're not my parent. Well, yeah, my, okay, so maybe they're technically right, but they're awfully wrong in every other way. Is that right? How many have heard anything like that? The, the, the kids would do that all the time, would sit there and say, he said, what? Well, amen, anyhow. Um, I cannot stand, personally, you want to get me angry? When I see a kid or a teen mouthing off to an adult or an older person, Something about me, I just have to restrain myself from taking them and I just want to take them and put them up against a wall and pin them there for a little bit and just talk to them real softly Amen. for a few minutes. We've, I remember being on vacation somewhere and this girl was with her grandmother in, a, in the grocery store telling grandma how stupid she was. 
telling grandma how slow she's got. Tell grandma, you don't know where anything is. Wanted to take her, put her through a thing of pineapples. <laughs> how many know what I'm talking about? This is important. Last, last point. This is number nine. And it's the last thing I have. That was number eight. The young, younger people, generally speaking, you ought to submit yourselves to older. Older person comes in the room, you hop up, give them your chair if that's the only chair. Hmm? Well, that's old fashioned. I don't care how old fashioned it is. It's truth. Amen. It's respect. Respect, last I checked, was not illegal. Last I checked, respect has not gone out of style, even though it's hard to find sometimes. You got to teach it. It doesn't just automatically, you teach them. Somebody speaks to my, to my children and they just say, yeah. We say, no, that's not how you answer Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Try again. <laughs> Amen. Number nine. Lastly, are you okay for this last one? This is a good one. Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Hallelujah. Have you found Ephesians chapter 5? Anything good in there? Yeah, that passage about wives and husbands is in there, isn't it? I want you to look prior to that passage, however, not completely disconnected from that passage. Verse 18. Now verse 17. And you could back up forever and it'd all be good. Verse 17 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, now everybody say instead. instead. So instead of what? Instead of getting drunk on what? What are we to do? We're to get drunk or we're to be filled with the Spirit. And then it describes, goes on to describe what that will look like. Speak to one another. So we know speaking is part of being filled with the Spirit. We know from other passages, speaking with other tongues is part of being filled with the Spirit. Is that right? But it says, speak to yourselves or speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, make music in your heart to the Lord. Do you understand that's a characteristic of a Spirit-filled life? It goes on to say this, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Do you understand that giving thanks is part of a Spirit-filled life? Amen. Amen. But I want you to notice it also goes on and says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is also part of a Spirit-filled life. And so number nine would be this. Spirit-filled believers will submit to each other. Here again, a broad category, probably the broadest category of submission is everybody submit to everybody else. And the Bible teaches it. Yet within that, there's some specific categories. Amen? Amen. Um, we talked about submission meaning bending. There are other reasons to bend besides feeling like I have to to be obedient to God. And a desire to just please one another will motivate you to submit if you're a believer who's filled with the things of God. People who are full of God aren't so full of themselves. And they, they're not so concerned about themselves and they're not just so obsessed with their own way. Is that right? 
And so all of us should try to please one another and accommodate the other person. Now here is where the whole teaching that we've given you on submission finds its balance and keeps you out of the extremes. Can you see this? We're, we're, in, uh, we're in this chapter here. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then what's the next thing it says? Watch. And so let's say it this way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this is what it means for you. And then go down to verse 25. Husbands, this is how you submit. Or this is what this means for you. If a husband, now it, and it says, hus, I told you I'd get back to it, wives. You just had to give me a couple weeks. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself, say gave himself if you would, gave himself up for her. Wives, could you live with that? <laughs> if a husband is loving his wife, there are times that he will submit to her for the sake of pleasing her. Not, I'm not talking about giving in to pressure or a hostile takeover of authority. You know when the Bible talks about women are not to usurp authority? That's what that's talking about. Taking it. We talked about that. No, I'm not talking about that. Because a husband, when he, gives it, when he submits to his wife's desires to please her, he's not giving up his place of leadership. He is taking the lead in love. He's letting love lead. If you read the Amplified Translation of 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. Part of it says love does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking. And so I don't try to dominate my wife. I try and lead. And a good leader will seek input. Will delegate part of, look, there's all kinds of things that I put over on her. You decide. You do it. What do you want to do? I remember, and when we were in Tulsa, we hadn't been there too long. One of the first times that we finally got enough money to go out to eat. We tried so hard to please each other by asking where the other one wanted to go. Do you remember this? Because <laughs> we just had, we hadn't done it. It could have been any restaurant. We hadn't been to any of them. We'd been there. We just had nothing money-wise to work with. Brand new in these things, you know. And, and when you're getting started, when you say, you answer the call to ministry and say, yeah, I'm going to go train for ministry, you better believe that there will be some dues that the Lord will let you pay to make sure you're serious about it. In other words, you'll get opportunities to quit to see if you will or not. Because the better, best thing to do is, is quit if you're not going to stick with it. Because then it'll be miserable the whole way. Yep. Yep. Amen. So, so uh, we finally, <laughs> we're in the car. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? We submitted so much, we got mad at each other. Didn't want to go anywhere. <laughs> She said, just decide or take me home. <laughs> I don't remember where we ate. We may have gone home. You, but you, listen now, you find a marriage where the husband and wife are trying to outdo one another in love. You will find a hot, that's going to be a hot marriage. You hearing me? So this, this all applies to the subject of authority. This is what we've, we've been talking about. If there's strife in the home, It'll affect your place of authority. I remember the story that Brother Hagin told about the lady who came to him. He was preaching and he preached uh, 
out of 1 John where it says, if you, you know anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and doesn't have eternal life abiding in him. And this lady came to him and said, well, you've got me all confused. And Brother Hagen, as he normally did, had a good response. He said, you were confused before I got here. The word just showed it up. What's the... And she, he said, what's the problem? She said, I hate my mother-in-law. <laughs> and Brother Hagen said, well, I knew she didn't because she was a Christian. In other words, he knew the love of God was in her, but she certainly wasn't exercising it. And, and, but, but he said, I gave her enough rope to hang herself. And so he said, well, that proves it then. You're a murderer. You're not going to heaven. You don't have eternal life. Well, then she backpedaled a little bit. And uh, he finally said to her, he said, look at me. Look at me in the eyes. Look at me and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And she did. She looked at him and she worked it up with all kinds of faith. She said, I hate my mother-in-law. And he said, what's going down inside of you? She, she said, something's, well, Texas talk. He said, something's a scratching me <laughs> down on the inside. He said, that's the love of God in you. He said, you do love her. You just need to act like it. And she said, you know, I do. Well, the, the, end, the, the sequel to the story is that she had a, uh, a child who had just the worst kind of epileptic seizures. And uh, so this was during this meeting, while there, or it was another meeting, and they knew Brother Hagen was in town, and he'd gotten to know these people, so they called, would he come to the hospital, because the child's at the hospital and just having terrible, terrible seizures. And um, so on the way to the hospital, the Lord spoke to Brother Hagen and said, don't pray for the child. Tell the mother that she's walking in love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And just to command the devil to take his hands off the child because she's walking in love. She, she got things right with her mother-in-law. She got the strife out of her home. He said he went there, didn't pray for the child, just told her what the Lord had told him. She wheeled right around and said, devil, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off of my child. And the child was okay. And, and never did have another one of those. And so if the, I, what I said was, if there's strife in your home, it'll affect your authority. If she'd stayed in, out of sorts with her mother-in-law, she couldn't have done that. Amen. If, what if you can't get along with your boss? It'll affect your authority. What if you think your pastor's unspiritual or unfriendly and talk about it all the time? No, that can affect your authority. Amen. What if you think your mom or your dad or your elders don't know anything? It'll affect your authority. Staying in any of those situations that I just talked about can render your God-given authority ineffective, which is why submission is the first and most essential thing to have in place as you seek to understand authority, which we'll be talking about coming up as God helps us. Hallelujah. Let's stand up, everyone. I said to you last week, the authority that I walk in as a believer and as a minister today, I can look back and attribute so much of it to having to submit in uncomfortable situations. And by God's help and His grace, I was able to and did. Amen. And so you can do it too. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you today. What a privilege it is to receive from your word, to see truth that sets free. And Father, as we seek to apply these truths to our lives, we ask you for your, for your help. And Lord, especially submitting to difficult people, we see that we have to do it. Lord, please help us. Help them, and we thank you so much that we do know that the end result will be victory in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, why don't you say amen?